Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Iowa lost 31-0 at Penn State. We got a lot to break down. As you can see, I don't have Sean Bach here, but I do have former Iowa beat writer for the Des Moines Register and my good friend, Kankton Lloyd-Smith, who now covers Alabama for The Athletic. Kenny, you and I have talked about doing a podcast together for I don't know how long. Yeah, basically. Since Especially, with, yeah, basically. So I'm happy we actually made it work. And what better way to make it work than after the thrilling game against Penn State, Iowa going up there to the whiteout. But I know you've kept up with Iowa. Uh, I've been impressed that you have, especially since, you know, I don't know how many casual people right now want to watch Iowa football, given, <laughs> given kind of where it's at right now. Uh, but before we dive into that, how's the transition been to Alabama? I know you've been crushing it on the beat, trying to get your reputation there and and continue to spread your good work. But, dude, let's let's talk a little bit of Alabama real quick. How are things going? Yeah, everything is everything is cool here. It was definitely a, a crazy transition, and um, really only a few people know how much I was going through at that moment when. I was still in Iowa with the register and then the athletic came along and I was entertaining. There was, you know, other offers on the table as well to, to leave. So it was, um, it was a lot, but I, Alabama has been cool. It's a lot different, obviously than Iowa. Like, first of all, you know, for people who don't understand or aren't as privy to what it's like for media to get access to players and coaches, Iowa media is unbelievable in terms of the amount of access that the media gets to the players. Like the fact that in Iowa, we can request players for availabilities. We can request true freshmen. The, Iowa usually accommodates our request um, that we get Kirk for about 30 minutes. Yeah, about 30, I'd say. Assistant coaches on um, on Wednesday via Zoom. It's just unbelievable. Alabama is like the complete opposite of that. Um, we get Saban twice a week for, you know, about 10-ish, a 10-ish minutes. We got five players across two days, um, and they're only up there for like 10 minutes at a time. It's at a podium, so there's no scrum. Um, so, you know, as you see with Iowa, you know, you have Xavier Wampo over here might be three people, and then Cooper is over here. He might have four people, and Mason Richmond might have five people. But Alabama's, you know, a player at the podium, everybody's sitting down. It's like very formal. Um, so it's just it's different, but 
Um, it's been cool here. The fan base obviously is um, is rabid. Um, being back south, close to <laughs> understatement, right? Being back, being back south, close to home has been cool as well. So, been able to see my family a lot, being able to see my friends a lot um, down here, which has been nice. And um, you know, it's kind of ironic that the running joke when I left for Bama was, "Oh, you're about to see explosive offense. <laughs> you're about to see a whole lot of points and a whole lot of touchdowns." And, um, you know, through four weeks, Alabama's kind of gone through their own offensive controversy with, um, you know, the quarterback situation and the offensive line hasn't played up to par either. So Alabama's still trying to find their identity as well. So I guess it was a good time to jump on the beat just because Alabama's not the road, you know, they're not the dominant road grading 12 and 0. We can just pencil them into the national championship that we've been used to seeing from that program yeah. for a long time. There's a, there's a little bit more, um, I guess like angst, controversy, whatever you want to call it, um, definitely a lot more intrigue. Um, I think after a while, even if you're a fan of a team, you kind of get tired of reading about a 12 and 0 team for 15 years, for 10 years. Sometimes, you know, things happen. Um, you know, Alabama's not as dominant as they was, and that opens up opportunities to talk about different things and for new storylines yeah. to emerge. So um, it's been cool so far. Um, trying to get on and stay, trying to get on and stay on Saban's good side. So um, that's a, you know that's an everyday every week challenge. Uh, but it's been yeah. cool. Um, obviously, uh, my former coworker and your, I guess coworker in a way, Cody Goodwin is down here covering yep. Bama for Bama two four seven. So shout out to Cody. I see him all the time. And um, good yeah. dude, deserve the opportunity yeah, for I'll, sure. One hundred one hundred percent. So I'm glad that he's down here. And it's funny that you mentioned me watching Iowa in a casual way because Cody's like not really watching Iowa at all. And he's oh and he's just like when I after the old miss game last Saturday, I'm leaving the press room. I'm like, I'm talking to Cody. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to go watch Iowa play Penn State. He's like, why would you do that to yourself? And it's like I don't I don't I guess it, Cody's been texting me on the side yeah. about Iowa yeah. and he goes, what are you gonna write about? Like he's trying to give me different angles and stats and stuff. That's so funny to me. Yeah. So, you know, Cody is not a you know, he's obviously not an Iowa hater. And he, you know, we talk about Iowa and all this stuff. So he's keeping up with it, but he's just not like devoting himself to watching the games like I have. I think I've watched every single game this year. So um whether I'm a you know good person or a good fan or if I'm crazy, <laughs> I've been I've been watching. So, um, you know, it's dope to, to be here and to be able to just kind of like take a break from Bama and talk about Iowa um, this season. Well, it's nice for you to be out of the scope of things. We're still in tune enough. So you have the perspective of covering the beat and being on the beat. But now you're just watching as a what football fan. We'll yeah, call I'm, it. I'm a I'm an Iowa fan. I think you can. Yeah, so I think that's a good way to put it. I'm a I'm a fan. And then just on another note, um, you know, for I think your 24 seven subscribers know, but I am a part of the Hawkeye Insider message board. I haven't been really active on the board recently just because like my job has me bogged down, but I oh, keep course. I keep up with you and Sean's work. I, I read the board. Uh, I talk to Chad multiple times a week, so I'm still co constant communication with Chad. I subscribe to the register. I'm a part of his tech group. Obviously, um, Scott Docterman, we're coworkers now. So, yep. um, you know, so Scott keeping up with him, you know, John Steppy, the, the Gazette, me and him have exchanged a few messages um, since I've been gone too. So, um, Still very much tapped into to the beat and um, and watching what's going on. And um, before we get into anything else, um, want to give a shout out to my replacement, Tyler Tashman. He's been writing some really good features, and I've and I've, yeah. been, I've been enjoying what what he's doing as well, and um, enjoying the the team that him and Chad have formed. So you know, shout out to Iowa Media, made some good friends out there, and obviously a lot of good you know reporters out there. So 
staying tapped in as much as I can. You know, I think another thing too, really quick one, since you only get saving for like 10 minutes, that wouldn't even cover half of that's like Kirk's opening statement sometimes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I couldn't imagine only having Kirk for 10 minutes. Cause he'd be, you know, his opening statement for five or six. And then you get what three questions in maybe at most. Yeah. Uh, and the other part too, and I don't know if you've mentioned this, like you were not looking to leave Iowa. Like these were opportunities uh-huh. that just presented themselves to you. So like for, and again, I don't think people thought that you were looking to leave or actively seeking a way out. But I thought just from me being, you and I being as close as we are, I thought I would at least put that on the record. Like you were never looking to leave Iowa. Yeah. It was just something that ended up happening. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, for as much as I talked about the weather and, you know, how culture driving. Yeah, just driving, how <laughs> different it is um, you know, where I'm from to where I was living. I love my I love my time out there. And I hope I hoped that, you know, the Iowa fans and the people there felt like I embraced living out there and I enjoyed being out there and I enjoyed what I did. I truly did. And like you said, I wasn't looking to leave, but um, you know, when you have an opportunity to cover um the premier program in the sport and to do it. Um, you know, for a publication like The Athletic and to be close to home, um, it was kind of a, of a, a no brainer, but it was hard to leave, obviously. Um, so uh, thank you for, for, for throwing that out there that I wasn't exactly just like looking for, you know, any opportunity. It's not, it's not the meme of a, just the piece yeah, and just exactly. disappear. Like <laughs> exactly. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've delayed it long enough, Kenny. We got to talk about Iowa. Yeah. Uh, I obviously I have my thoughts. I know you've read my column over the weekend, which was, you know, I think pretty scathing and I made it pretty clear what my thoughts about it were. Uh, but there's a lot of ways we could go with this. So I'm just going to leave it to you. Give me the general thoughts about the offense and kind of the state that Iowa football's in, because I can confidently say there is nowhere else in the country, probably at any level that has the same dynamics as what's going on in Iowa football right now. Yeah, I think, I think this is probably pretty close to like a worst case scenario for what the expectations were for the offense and maybe what expectations were for certain newcomers and what's actually occurred. So you kind of looked at Iowa at the end of last year and at least you or me were of the opinion that there was no choice, but for Kirk and the staff to use the, use the transfer portal. There was just no way that they couldn't. Right. So they go and on the surface and on paper, pretty much upgraded every position. I mean, got a new quarterback, retooled the receiver room, added an all big 10 level tight end. They got new pieces on the offensive line, the running back room, um, didn't really need retooling because, you know, you had Caleb Johnson and you had LeSean and Jazz and then, um, you know, um, Gavin left, but then they added two running backs um, in the high school ranks. So you felt good about that room. And there was just a lot of optimism about what the offense could be. I don't think anybody was expecting a uh, top 25 offense, but. We I thought, gave him an A in the portal rankings. I mean, yeah, they, they did what they had to do. And then they added Nick Jackson, who now has over 400 career tackles. Yeah, so you you looked at it on the surface. You said, okay, I don't know what the offense is going to look like, but there's a skeleton here for a competent unit. And after four weeks, it's like, okay, Cade, there have been highs and lows. People would argue almost no highs, all lows, if you just look at his raw statistics, right? Um, 
know, Eric all has been, been solid, but there's, you know, the fumble really hurt them against, against Penn state, but he's been a, a starter. There really hasn't been anything from the receivers. Seth Anderson's had some good moments, um, but he's not really like a consistent contributor. Caleb Brown has barely played. And then probably the most disappointing part is that the offensive line additions have not played. And, no. and it, and then the offensive line, like the guys that they're not playing over have not really improved either. So, um, you know, they're averaging less yards. You know, I don't know how many points they were averaging last year. They got to be close to the same amount of points per game. Maybe it's less. Um, and at the end of the day, they are three and one, but they beat three teams that pretty much everybody was expecting them to beat. And the offense didn't look you know, overwhelming in either of those games and then you come into Penn State and you put up 76 total yards. And, you know, at this point, it feels very much like it felt last year at the middle of the season where it's just kind of like, okay, we're kind of grasping for straws here. Like, how can the offense get better? We're still talking about wide receiver usage. That was the thing last year. We're still talking about the offensive line. Some people are, are you know, still talking about play calling to some regard. Um, it's it's like the same, it's the same old thing. And I think it's even more disappointing and probably more you know, disheartening if you're a fan because 2022 is different than this year, right? Because at the end of 2021, Kirk's whole thing was I'm doubling down on the guys that we have in the building. So outside of just faith in the current personnel in the roster, there really wasn't much reason to believe that Iowa's offense was going to get a lot better, right? It was just like, okay, he set, you know, another year for, for Spencer Petrus and this offensive line in this unit, maybe that'll be enough to push the offense forward. And it didn't. This time it was like, okay, we're going to bring in a whole bunch of new players guys who have been proven at their level or your school or whatever. We're going to try to, you know, push the offense forward with the piece that we have, and it still hasn't happened. Yep. That's kind of like where the the disappointment is. So um, I don't really know what I, that's just like my general thoughts. I really don't know where else I can say as far as just like my general um, overview of the offense. Yeah. It just, this, this feels worse than last year because it was like, Help was on the way, but it hasn't materialized in that way, at least in the first four games. I still am of the if you look at a lot of the advanced analytics and cover three talked about today, cover three podcast, I was actually better in eight of the primary 10 statistics they use for run success rate, pass success rate, etc. But it still sucks. Yeah, it's still yeah. The worst in power five. Like, let's dive into some of these rankings real quick. So, of 133 FBS teams, Iowa, total offense, 131st. They were 130th last year. 131st in first downs, 121st in passing yards, 126th in pass plays of 10 plus yards, 124th in fumbles. And then, if you look into some of the more context, Iowa's the only power five team averaging fewer than 300 yards a game. And they're only averaging 245.5. So it's a big drop off from second worst in power five to Iowa. Last among power five teams, first downs and pass plays, 10 plus yards. And Iowa's 127 passing yards per game, which is 30 worse than last season. So I think Scott Dockerman wrote an article about this today or yesterday. And it was something that I've talked about on my podcast. I've talked about on my board. Some people on my board disagree with me. Iowa's not going to be able to get wide receivers via the transfer portal next year. And they're not going to be able to recruit. I don't know how they're going to recruit wide receivers. And again, Iowa fans, some Iowa fans disagree with me, but I'm sticking by it. And now that you're outside the Iowa scope of things, I kind of want your take on it too. 
yeah. Iowa could finish with nine or 10 wins this season, right? I still think they can win the Big Ten West because I think the Big Ten West is the worst division in college football history. Maybe the ACC year where Virginia went, I think, seven and five and end up winning their division. That's probably the only one that can rival it. But it's, I just don't know how you're going to be able to convince people to go play for Iowa football and skill positions. And you think about Washington's coming over, Oregon's coming over, US, US, USC, UCLA, four good offenses. Michael Penix Jr. might be the best quarterback in the country. The Heisman favorite, in my opinion, with what he's done. So right now for Iowa, this is a narrative after they got blown out on national television. You know, I, I, I can't remember what the numbers were, but there was a very, you know, millions of people watched it. Iowa could win nine or 10 games this year, but the narrative that has stuck with Iowa's offense, it's going to take multiple years to correct that for the casual sports fan and some of the national media that don't necessarily watch a lot of Iowa football. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree for sure. And I think it's it's to a point now where it's like, okay, even if Iowa were to jump from 130th to 80th, that would be a massive step forward. But in the eyes of casual watchers or people who aren't tapped into the nuances of Iowa, if you were to just look at raw stats and see a team that's ranked 80th out of 133, you would still say that team was not very good. Like you just be like, oh, that offense sucks. Not knowing that they were been in the 130th, 120th, whatever for three years now, and then they jump 50 spots. That's a massive upgrade. And it's just not going to register that way to people who haven't been following year over year. So it is going to take um, multiple years of good offense. And then past that, I mean, probably putting some players into the into the league that are, you know, contributing. That's, you know, Iowa's thing with tight end you, and there are other schools that try to lay claim to that title, but at the end of the day, Iowa's got four legit starting tight ends in the NFL. So that's something that, that can't be de debunked. So it's going to take, you know, play on the field, but also, um, you know, kind of getting to that next level and, and making a mark in the NFL. And I do feel, I honestly feel for Coach Copeland, and I know his his name has been one that's been, talked about in terms of, um, you know, if we want to replace coaches, um, you know, it's like the three names that are always brought up is like Brian Ferentz, George Barnett. And then I would say Copeland is probably third on that list. Um, but I want to, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't fire Abdul. You can't fire Liddell Betts. I think they've done a tremendous job. Yeah, I agree with that. And one thing I'll say about Copeland in kind of a, a def in a way of defending him, um, he has shown an ability to get athletes to Iowa. Maybe he has, maybe not in a, you know, he's not getting 10 four-star receivers every year, yeah. right? but Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce were four-star prospects. I don't know what Brody Brecht was. Um, he was a high three-star, Yeah, uh, but, he, but he I had, think, you know, him being a dual, dual sport guy, he never stayed healthy enough for football season. Like Brody is a guy that I think really could have contributed how he stayed healthy, yeah. especially this year. Yeah, but you know, what I was trying to illustrate with Brody, Brody had power five interests. Like, Kelvin yep. Cope has won recruiting battles against power five schools for high three-star, four-star guys, right? Amir Smith-Marset is in the is in the league. Um, I'm not sure if Brandon Smith is still in the league on a practice squad, but he has brought... I think he's still on a practice squad. Yeah. And um, he went and convinced, you know, Seth Anderson had power five interests. One of them was from Georgia Tech, where he is from. 
right? He won a recruiting battle against an in-state school in the city where Seth Anderson is from. He convinced, NFL bloodlines too. He convinced Caleb Brown, who left Ohio State and had Power Five interests, to come to Iowa. So Kelvin, Kelvin Copeland has shown an ability to get people to believe in him as a coach. On a macro level, he's you know he's hamstrung by you know the scheme and the route tree or whatever the, the case yeah. may be. But you know, and if you want to talk about development, that might be another you know conversation. But just in terms of talent acquisition. I feel like he's done a good job of, of bringing guys to the room. And I think, you know, last year when he had the quote about, you know, I tell guys what it is in terms of if you're looking for stats and accolades and targets and touchdowns, or whatever, this isn't the place for you, which is kind of like a brutal thing to to hear, but you appreciate his honesty. But th- and that is yeah. really, really what he's up against, right? He's not shying away from it. You know, other schools are using that against him and he's not, you know, lying to these kids and saying that that's not the case. Um, but he's still able to get people to to commit to him to come in. So, um, you know, I understand, you know, when, you, when you're coming to evaluate these coaches and these are coaches who make a lot of money um, to develop kids and put a product on the field there, you know, there comes a, a time where there's going to have to be a, you know, a truthful, hard evaluation. But I do want to kind of give him that, you know, grace and that caveat that he has, you know, shown an ability to, 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 to get some guys. But I do agree with you at this point. Yeah. The, the transfer portal re- recruiting thing is going to be really hard to overcome because here's another thing. And I know there were, you know, fans that tweeted you some questions. Somebody asked about Seth Anderson, you know, Caleb Brown leaving. They already used their one-time transfer. So yeah. unless they plan on sitting out for another year, they're, they're here at Iowa. So that's another thing that then when you're talking about recruiting portal guys, this isn't a situation where somebody could say, you know what, I'm going to take a flyer one year chance on Iowa. If it doesn't work out, I'm just gonna go right back into the portal. Like once you unless your- Kirk Ferentz retires, then they I think they have 30 days from when that happens where they can enter the portal. Right. So that's another thing to consider when you're like, okay, the transfer portal rec- recruiting is probably not going to be on the same level as a kid knows 99%. Like if I commit to Iowa, that's where I'm gonna be for the duration of my career. So um it's gonna be really, really tough on you know the high school front and obviously the transfer portal front. Um, you know, to kind of get some difference makers on the perimeter. So then diving into this, because this is something that I wrote about in my column. And again, I don't believe this is intentional, but right now, given the dynamics, whether it be personnel based or anything like that within Iowa athletics, it's a culture of offensive ineptitude. And the biggest problem that I think a lot of fans have, Kenny, and even media members, like we've talked about it among media members, people would be surprised how much, media members talk about the state of the program. I mean, you and I, whenever we, you know, you know, go out to eat or go watch games together, we talk a lot about Iowa or the beat that we're covering. There's no accountability right now with this poor performance. Now, look, fans can blame Brian. Fans can blame the O-line. Fans can blame position coaches. But nothing is changing, so there's no accountability other than a public outcry. And you've been a bottom 13, 14 offense for going on year three at this point. There has to be some sort of change. And I think this weekend against Michigan State is going to be one of the most important games in the last few years. Because if they lose to Michigan State, given everything that's going on within the program, it could absolutely snowball. And I think the fans would just absolutely snap. The last straw would be broke. But think about it just from this 
perspective, and again, this is something I want to talk to you about. At what point is there actual accountability? Because you've watched Kurt Ferentz press conferences. It's gotten to the point where he almost can't justify what's happening. He simply says we have to get back to work to do better and look for ways to get involved. And the reality is that's not going to fly anymore, especially given the fact that this is Kurt Ferentz's last chance to win a Big Ten title. I, I, I really do believe that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, when you're talking about these Kurt Ferentz pressers, you know, the, the questions are being asked, right? Like if any if, if anybody who's listening to this podcast, the, the live, you can find Kurt Ferentz pressers on YouTube. If you just Google Kurt Ferentz on YouTube, type his name, you're going to find him. And I mean, you know, you ask, how can wide receivers be motivated and be engaged when they're practicing every week and not getting but one target maybe in a game? You know, Scott, Dr. Men peppered Kirk early. And I remember when, you know, the 25-point amendment press conference, Scott just asked him straight up, what does Brian Ferentz do well as an offensive coordinator and play caller? Is that Kirk if, can answer. If that's not a tough, straightforward question, then I don't know. I don't know what is. So the, the questions are being asked. The, the answers are not, um, you know, suitable. And, yeah. um, you know, that's just Kirk by, you know, personality and just kind of his philosophy. He's not going to – throw anybody under the bus and he's going to have a, a team mentality. And in some ways you do admire that, but in others, it does feel like there isn't a, um, it doesn't feel. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It doesn't really feel like, I guess it's, I don't want it to come out this way that I'm not, that I'm saying Kirk Ferentz isn't like authentic and he isn't genuine because he is. But it's it's like it's how can you how can you ignore or how can you not just say, you know, offensively where this isn't working, you know, whatever the case may be, this is what we have to do to fix it. I think there was a question in terms of like, you know, offensive line. Right. There was an offensive line question yesterday in the presser and Kirk was like he kind of took a holistic approach like, oh, well, you know, we got to get we got to get better in every way. You have to get better in every way. So, yeah. you know, I understand he doesn't want to throw, you know, these kids under the bus. Um, you know, they're working hard. They're practicing hard. They're doing everything they can. He doesn't want to throw those coaches under the bus. Um, but it does – lack of awareness. That's that's what I was trying to say. Not, like, not off. Yeah, sure. It's like a it, – it feels like there's a lack of awareness in terms of um, why the team is being held back so much. It is um, just because of the, the offense. So, um We'll this go back to Chad Lysko's question from yeah. post Penn State. This is one I've repeatedly used because I was trying to formulate a question and Chad just asked Kirk flat out, what's the concern level with the offense? And Kirk gave a horrible answer. He just said, you know, we didn't score, but we didn't stop them from scoring either. He immediately brought the defense into it. But look, the defense wasn't perfect. They couldn't get off the field on third down. That's a legit criticism that still needs to be there, even though the defense was on the field for 97 plays. Like, they still could have been better. But why are why is the coaching staff or Kurt putting that much pressure on a defense and special teams to make plays and not on the offense? Like, there is no program in the country that has more pressure on its defense, on its special teams to make plays. 
to remain relevant. And then Kirk, I think, follows up by saying there's no concern if that really makes sense other than the fact that we didn't score. Which is like kind of how I mean, you, that's that's, that's the like game. You, that's football that's, now. That's how you win in any sport is to is to score. Um, so that, you know, that is a is a head scratching and, a, and a, you know, a head shaking moment. But it is, you know, I think, you know, kind of what we're getting at is like Iowa wins and wants to play complimentary football. Right. And I think it's gotten to the point where like the the term and how we view complimentary football from an Iowa lens is so skewed to. Yep. It's it's almost like we're going into these games like we just know the offense isn't going to do anything. It's going to have to be defensive special teams playing at an elite level, which complements the offense and brings it up. But if you look across the country, there are other teams that are playing complementary football at a way higher and more efficient level. Um, you know, I you know I reference Georgia a lot, and obviously, you know, Georgia's on a different level in terms of just like talent program, whatever. But Georgia is a complementary football program. They're yeah. not a program that's they're not a quarterback reliant team. They're not a team that's, you know, if star players are out, it's gonna drastically affect what they do offensively, defensively, whatever. Um, they play complimentary football. You could argue that they probably perfected it at this point. So other teams are are do are playing complimentary football, but it's you know, everybody kind of pulling their their own way with Iowa. It's like, okay, 45 you know, maybe 45, maybe higher percent of defense, however many for special teams, offense 10%. Like if the defense can get a turnover on the plus side of the field and the offense converts that into points, like that's like the offense doing their part. Yeah. So that's I, yep. that's that's kind of like where I'm kind of at with like the philosophy of the complimentary football, which I think is a winning style, obviously, but it's just so skewed to the offense not giving a lot in the defense and especially is having to do so much to where uh, we're kind of seeing – something that we talked about last year, you know, and kind of just our, our, our one-off conversations where it's like, if Iowa's defense was 10% worse, what would, it, like a bowl game. Yeah, what, what would it look like? If the defense was 20% worse, what, what would it look like? And the special teams you took a while tell you? What would it look like? And we're kind of, that, I think that Penn State game was kind of a reflection of. It'd be, they'd be Vanderbilt. Yeah. And yeah. I know, again, people, I think this is something else that I've thought about too. And this does not discredit Iowa at all because they play who's on the schedule, but have the win totals against mediocre programs clouded the overall scope of where college football is heading when it comes to Iowa. Yeah, beating Illinois every year, beating Minnesota every year, being Nebraska most years and getting those wins. Has that just kept Iowa in a little bottle and in a little box without seeing where the greater scheme of it's going. And you mentioned it earlier. I think there's such a widened gap now between Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan, and, and, and not in that order, but that versus everywhere, everyone else in the big 10. Yeah. It's yeah. never been more divided in my opinion. Yeah. That was something that um, and I remember this might've been after the big 10 championship, 2021 my first round the beat me and myself and chad and andrew downs we had a conversation about this on a podcast about is winning an enemy of progress which sounds on the surface it sounds crazy if you say that out loud like is is the fact that i was winning at this rate stopping them from reaching another level um but 
the fact that the defense has been so good and special teams have been so good, it allows for, um, you know, Kirk to justify keeping things the way that they are, because at the end of the day, Iowa is still a very viable program. Like that's, that, that's, no that, about, that's that about winning eight games every year since 2015 is a great statistic. There's only a few teams that have been able to do it, but at the same time, it is a potentially dangerous statistic because it allows for the program to keep things the way that they are because they can say we are winning to some degree at the same clip as the premier programs in the sport, yeah. right? Obviously, I was not going to the playoffs or anything like that, but they are winning at a consistent level that pretty much no other team in the country is, is winning at. And that is a testament, again, to the staff that Kirk has, has built. And I think the way that he's able to pay his assistance and, and the loyalty and everything, he should get credit for that. And that's a huge reason why Iowa's successful, the continuity. But on the offensive side, it's allowed for – um, you know, them to just kind of settle for the offense being what it is just because they know at the end of the day, you know, they're still going to be a, a viable team. And it would be an even, you know, he would have even more reason to, to stand on this leg if Cooper DeGene doesn't get hurt against Nebraska and Iowa beats him and goes to the Big Ten Championship. We yep. will be sitting here having the same conversation about a back-to-back West Division champion, right? It's like, yep. you know, it's, it's such a nuance and it's such a difficult conversation to wrap your mind around because it's like we're talking about legacy and we're talking about Iowa's place in the in the Big Ten and nationally and we're talking about, you know, culture issues and, and all of these things. But who's winning more than Iowa? And they've and they've and they've won the, the divisions, you know, back to back years, which is which is just crazy. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, we're talking about we, I think that we're seeing kind of like the bigger picture and like what could Iowa be? with the same defense, the same special teams, and an adequate offense, especially in a 12-team playoff era. If Iowa had a top 50 – if Iowa had a top 75 offense in the same level of defense and special teams, they will be regularly competing for a playoff spot in the 12-team in the twelve team era. That's how good they've been in the other two phases. And um, that's kind of where, where my thought is in terms of kind of where they are on the national um, landscape. It's like I said, it's such an interesting conversation. I want to make sure that we get to our, our questions that people submit as well. But like, like I said, you and I could continue to go down this path for forever. And, you know, the reality is this. Once the divisions go away, Iowa has to start playing the USC. Have yeah. to start playing in Ohio State more. They have to play Washington. They have to play Oregon. Like, there's so much riding on this season and what's going to happen for the future based off decisions that Kirk's going to make. And we'll, we'll get to a point about Brian in a second. And again, if people think that firing Brian fixes everything, it's not, it's, it's probably, I don't even want to say a step in the right direction. Maybe it opens the door a little bit for some more change, but this is not all Brian's fault. And I understand he's the scapegoat and there are some things that are a hundred percent accurate about what he should or should not be blamed for. But the idea that, you know, Iowa fires Brian, everything's going to be fixed is ludicrous because there are so many different aspects wrong with it. And the people that say, oh, you know, it's not all Brian's fault play calling. What about the O-line? What about this? What about that? Who's ultimately in charge of recruiting those guys and developing those guys? Yeah. And I think the um, the offensive line, you know, the, you know, the, that's like I feel like 
if we're talking about systematic failures, I mean, you yeah. have you have three proven offensive line minds in the build. Kirk, you know, what Kirk did with, you know, he's a that's you know, him under Hayden Fry is an offensive line coach. Brian Ferentz, when he was an offensive line coach, that was like peak O-line U at Iowa when they were winning Joe Moore Awards and all that. And you have George Barnett. You have offensive line minds in the building. So that's kind of like, you know, one of like a, one of the more overly systematic, um, you know, failures is like, you know, you have all these guys, but the offensive line hasn't progressed. Um, but on the point of the Big Ten, I just want to touch on this quickly. Yeah, uh, there was a, I don't know where you stand on this. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but there are a lot of people on Twitter and, um, you know, I had a tweet. We're talking about people saying that they didn't want Iowa to go to the Big Ten championship because they didn't want them to lose by 50 on national television. Um, there is never, in my opinion, and maybe when we get closer to it, you know, maybe a player or coach might speak on this at some point later on down the road, but there is never a, a moment in sports where, if you have the opportunity to play for a championship that you would turn that down. Absolutely. I think the idea is stupid. There's, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. There is never a moment where it's like, we have an opportunity to win a championship in our division. We have an opportunity to win a division title and play for a championship to play for a Rose bowl bid or to play for these. There is never opportunity. There's never a moment where it's like, you know what? It wouldn't be worth it because we I'd rather be, I'd rather be irrelevant. Right. I mean, that's come on now. That is that's ridiculous. such a loser's mentality. It's right. a loser's that's, mentality. That's ridiculous. And then again, what you just talked about, if it doesn't happen this year, when is it when is it going to, to happen? Because the last few the last two times I was played for a Big Ten championship, it has taken something historic for it to happen. The 2021 yep. year was the record-breaking interceptions and the crazy turnover margin. And there was that point where every time the defense turned it over, Iowa turned it into points. Like it was, that was a crazy year. Then the time before that was a 12 and 0 team in 2015. So it's, it's going to take something either historic or once in a generation, once in a You're lifetime. You need a Heisman quarterback. It's, it's going to take something unbelievable for Iowa to get past one of USC, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Washington, if they keep this up, Oregon. I mean, and we're not even talking about if Luke Fickle turns thing, you know, takes Wisconsin. And I expect him to, right? Because he's an he's an elite coach. If they if he takes them to a certain point, if Matt Rule, you know, if he turns Nebraska, if if Michigan State hires Lance Leopold or something like, you know, they hire a great coach, they take a step forward. Chip Kelly, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be so hard to get to that top two that. As a fan, you 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 have to want Iowa to win this division and play for a Big Ten championship just because the opportunities moving down the road, at least on the surface, are going to seem nearly impossible. Nope, I'm with you 100%. And for last quick point I want to make before we get to the questions. The sign of a Hall of Fame coach is adapting and making adjustments. Nick Saban, all, even related to Alabama, yeah. what, five years ago, Nick Saban faced a crossroads. He changed the offense based on his personnel. Iowa cannot continue to live in this bubble where they commit to a broken scheme in modern football. It just is. It's a broken scheme in modern football. You can still take elements of it. 
you have to cater the offense toward your personnel. Iowa cannot just recruit dudes that they think will fit their scheme because if they don't pan out, you're going to get the exact product that you're seeing on the field right now on offense. It doesn't matter how good some of the players are. So Kirk has to adjust. Yeah, no question, no question about it. You made a great point with Nick Saban. Kirby Smart changed his offense after 2019 when it got Todd Munkin. And they completely changed how they how they played on offense. And it's happening in other places, not just I Dabble Sweeney at Clemson is facing a huge crossroads at this very moment with no question the transfer portal and NIL and those things. So it's happening everywhere. It's how are you going to re- respond to that? I think Kirk took strides in the right direction with embracing the transfer portal, right? Because if he didn't do that, you know, where would I would be if they didn't have the offensive pieces that they did bring it to the point. We did take a step in the right direction, but now we're just kind of, you know, keep taking those, you know, steps forward to, to turning it around. Yeah. Before we uh, get out of here, Kenny, I do want to make sure that we hit on our questions. Uh, and I'll let you answer some of them more so than me, because I don't like speculating on jobs, but mm-hmm. luckily you're out of the scope of things. So yeah. I feel like I'll let you. Uh, somebody asked if it's the likelihood of this being Brian's last year at Iowa. And I will answer this one, but I'll, I'll get you started first. Yeah. I'm going to say very high. I'm going to say very high. Um, I can't say hundred percent cause we just don't know, but it's, it's really high. I think when you think about offensive performance, when you think about pressure on the program and then, um, I think, and I was listening to, to John Miller's podcast. I think he made a very um, astute point where you're talking about Beth Goats. If yep. she ends up becoming the permanent athletic director and her first move is to retain Brian and to keep things status quo, that I don't know how that's going to play within the fan base. There's always going to be a large amount of the fan base that are gonna, that's going to ride with Kirk no matter what. And I think that it is, you know, that is deserving as Warrantix. Kirk is the the GOAT in terms of Iowa's football program. He's going to get a statue outside Kinnick. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, her siding, you know, to say that's the right or wrong decision, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's not fair to to her. But I do think that is not going to play very well with a large part of the fan base if that's like her first major move as athletic riches. You have to factor that in uh, as well. So I would say very high likelihood that um you know brian is not going to be the oc next year yeah i'm with you i mean i I was going to mention that podcast as well i watched that and i thought that was a tremendous point because i think she does deserve the job i think you look at her resume unless you're bringing in a top five or ten sitting athletic director beth obviously deserves the opportunity i think she's a fan favorite right now with the way she's trying to embrace nil and she's been working very close with brad heinrichs this swarm collective ceo which again, I think is a massive deal. But you can lose that support real quick if you b- bring back Brian. Because yeah. let's be, let's be, I'll be quite honest with you, Kenny. Iowa's not hitting 25 points per game this year. They're, they're not. I'll, I'll be shocked if they do. I still think they can win the Big Ten West, but unless something crazy happens, and like, again, Iowa fans won't like this, and this might age very poorly, but I'll say it Nebraska's not a gimme game, man. No, they're ranked, and, they're number and, one in the nation. Yeah, and it hasn't been a gimme game. You know, it's not like they're number one in the nation rushing defense. I want to make sure I got that got that part yeah. out there. Number one in the nation rushing defense, forty five points per game. And if they stop Iowa's rushing attack, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, what's Iowa gonna do? Yeah, based that's on not, what we've seen. Yeah, not a gimme game by any means. If you look at the last several results, I mean, these are one possession games. 
Yeah. It was a miracle that Iowa won in 2021 where they went to the Big Ten West, you know, where they went to the Big Ten championship. And it was like the flu game and the crazy comeback and all of that. So it's it's not a it's not a gimme by by any means. I would, I would agree with you there. So I'll go high likelihood that Brian is not retained. I and there were a lot of rumors this past offseason that had a lot of legs to them. It just didn't end up panning out for whatever reason, which leads me to my next point. And this is one I will want to stay a little bit clear from. But again, you don't cover the program. So again, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Kenny. Mm -hmm. But is this Kirk's last? Could this be Kirk's last season? Especially if Brian goes. It could be. It could be. I don't think that's a little lower on the likelihood scale for me. It's a greater than 0% chance. I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, Kirk would retire or walk away before he has to fire you know, Brian or anything like that. I do think that that is um, a well-taken point, but I do think when puss comes to shove, he would stay. I was coaching Brian would, would exit because this is just me. You know, I'm not inside the program, but this is just, you know, for me speculating what my viewpoint is it there, there is a, I don't know how much fun Kirk and Brian are having working together. Like I'm sure that they enjoy working together. Right. And like, you know, they obviously love each other. There's a strong relationship there, but this has not been a fun few years of, you know, them trying to, to figure this offense out. It's not working progressively. More pressure is building. Um, it, It might be one of those things where Kirk it's emotional for Kirk, but he says, you know what? It's better for my son to not be in this environment anymore. And it might end up benefiting our relationship if we're not in this foxhole together trying to figure this out. There's all this outside pressure on us, right? Maybe Brian goes and gets a offensive line. He gets a, he go gets another job. Kirk stays at Iowa, and they're able to just you know talk about football in in a way where it's not trying to figure out how to make the offense work and everything else that's surrounding the program and all the outside pressures. So I think there might be some benefits to to you know, to their relationship on that regard. Again, this is just, you know, me speculating, just kind of giving my opinion on the matter. But I think, um, you know, Kirk, his last year, I'll probably put that at less than 50%. I think he's thinking multiple year plan. I I am very interested what the vibe is going to be like, assuming Brian does not return. Because right now, Kenny, like there's no way you can go through another season like this and not make a change. We thought that last year, but you really can't do it. Because Iowa right now, and I'll be just – I'll put it completely blunt. And, again, you're outside the program. You associate with a lot of national guys, et cetera. Iowa's offense is the laughing stock of college football. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100, 100%. I mean, it's – it's um, it's it's like – here's like a funny illustration of like when you – of like a casuals or like a national – or perspective people who don't follow Iowa, right? So Sam Laporta is killing it right now. In, in the NFL. When he got drafted in the second round by the Lions, I'm in a group chat with people who, you know, only went to UGA, only live in the South. They don't watch Iowa. They're in the chat yeah. like, oh, this is a bust. Oh, the Lions, why they why they take an Iowa tight end in the second round? He didn't even score any touchdowns last year. This dude is this dude is garbage. Da, da, da. I'm like, I'm telling y'all, this dude can really play. They're like, oh, you're just saying that because you're in Iowa, whatever, whatever. I take Sam Laporte on my fantasy drafts. Everybody's like, oh, that's what a stupid move that was, da-da-da-da. And now he's you know, he's killing it in the in the league. So, like, it's even more than just perception yeah. of the program. It's a stigma that is following players into the into the league. Again, 
that might be jarring to hear as an Iowa fan, just because like every, you know, we know, cause we've watched Sam, we know Sam, how good of a player he is, but just on the outside, like, Oh, you just see an Iowa, you know, offensive player going that high in the draft. It's like, why is this team picking, picking this guy? He was a part of a horrible offense. So um, he's going to go down as one of the more undervalued Hawkeyes of all time. Yeah. Like he should have done a lot more with his college career and that's not dissing him at all because it wasn't his fault. Right. Right. So you that's know. just like, that's just like a snapshot illustration of just kind of how these things can, you know, have multi-pronged effects. Yeah. Uh, so somebody asked about how would you rank these factors in Cade's somewhat lackluster start? There's the quad injury scheme playbook difference in talent around him here versus Michigan. I don't know if I can rank them, Kenny. Yeah. I think they're all I think they're all contributing factors. I think the quad injury is certainly, you know, I'll put the quad injury last. I think it's the playbook. I think it's the scheme. And I think there was a lot of talent in Michigan, especially on the offensive line. And that's not dismissing what Cade can bring to the table. But I think the injury last season and him not playing last season is impacting him far more than like the quad injury. The quad injury certainly didn't help. Missing fall camp two weeks did not help. But again, like I, I've tweeted at people. I'm sure you've seen my tweets. Like if you if you're simply blaming Cade, I yeah. don't know what to tell you. It's not his fault. Yeah. And now he's, think, a pro- he's a problem. He's a problem, but it's not, yeah. it's not simply Cade. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of those, I think all of those things kind of work hand in hand because when you're talking about like the quad, like you said, the quad injury is secondary to the main injury that kept him sidelined until fall camp. Like he wasn't, I think that kind of coming in, at least from my point of view, I would hope that this was everybody else's point of view, that this was not going to be just an automatic seamless transition just because of the amount of reps that he lost at, you know, at Michigan last year, not not even being able to practice. Like we're not even talking about game reps. He wasn't even able to get practice reps at Michigan last year. Then he's recovering through winter. He's a limited participant in the spring and then he gets in the fall and he's finally gets to put the pads on. Then he gets hurt, but it was everything that kind of led up to that point that kind of held him back as well. So, I would probably put that one, you know, scheme, obviously another thing, the talent, um, you know, can make the argument as well, but um, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, to quote Kirk yeah. and this is sort of like a funny, you know, thing from last year, fair evaluation and whole body of work. Like it's true. It's hard to, to, to kind of grade Kate. I mean, you probably wouldn't grade him. Well, I mean, the stats are not great, right? The offense has to look great. I'm not trying to absolve them, but there are some, there are some factors into that, but I think again, the offensive line is, I will put that as the number one problem with the yeah. offense, honestly. Um, and like I you gave, can't do anything in that scheme. Yeah, yeah. With and that's the offense line. Yeah, that's the thing with the play calling. It's like okay, you know, Brian's not calling the right plays, and I know people talk about the sweeps on the short side of the field. Okay, point taken, but it's hard to do anything offense. It's hard to establish anything if you're not getting any type of respect at the point of attack. And yep, that is you know it's been a it's been a three-year thing now and um kind of like how i gave coach copeland some grace earlier um i know george barnett is a hot name and people want him out but i just want to say he hasn't had the best luck either i mean going back to 2021 kyler shot who was an all big 10 guy breaks his foot plays hurt that whole year that was a huge part of the reason why the offensive line um wasn't great justin Britt, um another and Cody Ince, these are guys who are supposed to play, right? Yeah. And yep. 
it didn't, you know, didn't pan out. You know, it wasn't their fault. They were, you know, hurt or whatever. David Davikov, who was a legit blue chip prospect, who again that dude could have went first two rounds, first round. He had some of the best film I've watched an Iowa offensive lineman get. Yeah. So I want to give Barnett some grace. He those are four guys who he was expecting to be players that he just did not have in his arsenal. So it's not like um he hasn't had some adversity as well. But um, you know, with the guys who have been you know, Mason Richmond, Connor Colby, three-year starters, you know, Nick DeYoung's been in the program for, you know, several years, even going back to Jack Plum last year. And then, you know, Logan Jones, second year. There, there are guys who, who he's had that have not panned out either. Right. So um, kind of like a double-edged sword with, with Barnett, but the offensive line to me is the number one problem with the offense. And it goes back to what I said earlier. There, somebody has to be held accountable at some point. Like you just can't keep listing reasons for excuses. I mean, that's what, again, separates good programs from elite programs. There's an expectation saying no matter what happens, you need to, you got to perform at the highest level. And again, if you look at Iowa's pro style scheme, I mean, Cade came into a three-step drop back without having two guys in his face. And I think that's a big problem. Again, Cade's missed some throws. Don't get it twisted. 100%. Yeah. There's no, we are not absolving anyone. Everyone involved with Iowa's office shares some blame. Everybody can get the smoke, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Every now, (laughs) if we're if we're like, okay, this person gets this percentage of the blame, whatever. That's a whole other conversation. But everybody is sharing this pie, right? Everybody's everybody's getting a piece. So I want I want to I want to be clear with that with that point. Yeah. uh, So somebody wanted me to grill you about how much money it would take for you to go up to Saban's podium, take a sip of his Coke and put it down in the middle of the press conference and just sit back down. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Retirement money. Retirement money. Like, yeah, it would take that much money. Like, okay, I'm not working. I'm not working again after that. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I, that's. Saban, is Saban so intimidating, even from like a media perspective, like a writer perspective, even though he's only what? Like, I'm not even trying to like talk crap to him. He's only what, like five, six? Yeah, he's not, a, he's not a tall guy, but he has, it's his, he has an aura about yeah. him. And it's like, when you when you first walk up on them, it's like you can feel it. You can feel an energy between you and, and him. So he is an intimidating figure in that regard. Um, I remember my first press conference. In my mind, I'm like, when I get the microphone, my hand is gonna be like this. Like I'm gonna, yeah. be, <laughs> I'm gonna be trying to get a question out, and he's just gonna be looking at me crazy because my hand is shaking. So yeah. uh, luckily that luckily that that didn't happen. And um, I've been able to ask all of my questions without stuttering or anything like that. Because again, when you have a figure like that and you're stuttering, it's like, okay, you know, am I making them mad by not spitting this question out or, or whatever? Yeah. Um, so, but he's been, he's been cool. He hasn't really blown up at all this year, honestly. I mean, he's had a little a few, bit surprising. He's had a few sarcastic remarks, but he hasn't had like a slam the podium, you know, famous saving rant or anything like that. But yeah. do that to him, I would, 
it would take, I would need money where like, if I did that, I would walk away from the athletic and journalism and be able, <laughs> and be able to live for the rest of my life. I was going to say, you'll just go to like Cabo or something for, yeah. for, for a month at a time. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I feel you on that too, because I remember the first time I asked Kirk a question, I mean, cause that was my first real, you know, journalism job post-college and I didn't ask, you know, Scott Frost, I didn't ask Mike Riley a lot of questions, but I'm like, you know, the first time I ask a question, am I going to be, you know, nervous as heck. And once you kind of get into the mode and you just kind of understand your role and everything, I think it gets a lot easier. It has for me at least, but Fran McCaffrey is probably a little bit more nerve wracking than, than Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, all right. So a couple more quick, just quick ones. Kenny, have you, have you been to somebody asked if you've had Archibalds yet? Very amazing. Uh, what is this? Is that like a steakhouse uh, down there? Barbecue place. So um, down south, obviously big barbecue um, region. Dreamland is like the main barbecue brand or whatever in Alabama. I think Chad, when he came down for, um, when y'all came down for the tournament. Yeah. Chad, Chad went to Dreamland in Birmingham and um, he said it was really good. So that's like a, a main brand, but Archibald's is like another um notable barbecue brand very very okay. very very good and somebody asked uh, how many harry's buckets have you consumed yet i don't know if that's a college bar or like what I, that have, is. I have no idea what that is so okay. maybe i'm not i'm not immersed in true tuscaloosa culture yet like, <laughs> i don't know what a harry's bucket is unless gonna, it's one of those yeah uh we have a save impressor tonight so i'm gonna go you know i'm gonna ask the vets on the beat okay what's a harry's bucket is that what harry's it's- Harry's bucket, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there was one more quick one I wanted to to ask you about. That a couple of people were promoting your coverage and how well you did at Iowa, and they appreciate that. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. So, what's the feeling on Saban uh, on the beat? Is he gonna try to get Alabama back up to the top before he retires, or do you think like this is kind of I want to say it for him, but. You know, yeah. there's speculation every year at this point. It's the same thing with Kirk, yeah. right? Yeah, well, 100%. I think, you know, it's interesting because every time Save has been asked about his age or, you know, where he's standing in the program, he's like, you know, I feel great. You know, I feel great health-wise. I feel like I'm in my 30s and all this other stuff. And he's still, I mean, very active. I remember we got a chance to have an open practice for fall camp, and Nick Saban is doing the ab workouts with his team. He's still working on it. So, like, he's very much still – in it, and I think, you know, Alabama's not what they've been, but that just means that we're not just writing them in as a twelve and zero team, right? Like yeah. they're still very much viable SEC national championship contenders, and if they find, round out and find an identity this year, that could still very much be the case. So, you know, the talent is there, the infrastructure is there. So, I don't think that. You know, there's going to be a Nick Saban retirement at the end of this year, but obviously, you know, he's on the back nine of his career. So, um, you know, personally, I think if I were to, you know, if I stay in this role for, say, five years, I think I would have, I think I, at the end of five years, I would have covered a Saban retirement, but I don't think it's going to be like this year. If that Sure. So I did the favor, you know, my journalistic duty, I've investigated what Harry's bucket is. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to hear what it is? <laughs> so this is from uh, TuscaloosaNews.com. It's a drink with a flavor and a finish as unique as the bar that serves it. Harry's Crazy Bucket, served exclusively at Harry's Bar on Hargrove Road. 
I don't know if that's College Row. I don't know if you know where that's at down there. Uh, has earned its place in lore of the University of Alabama college life. It begins with the foundation of liquor, including two kinds of bourbon, vodka, gin, rum, and scotch. And it's oh topped God. with two beers, Sprite, Coke, Grenadine, orange, and cranberry juice. That is insane. That's what, the most... what color is that drink? I'm about to look up a photo. That's, that's like a Long Island on steroids. That's crazy. And uh, you know me, Long Island. I like those. So that's, but that's, <laughs> you said scotch. I was like, oh my God. Oh, two kinds of bourbon and scotch. Oh, dude, I wish I could put this up on screen right now. Yeah. It, they literally serve it in like a tin bucket and it looks like they spray painted Harry's bucket on it. Yeah. And it's like, a light red. It almost looks like a lighter grenadine. That's crazy. That sounds insane. Kenny, I don't even know if I would like that. Yeah, that I, was says, say, I was say that sounds like closer up your alley than mine. <laughs> Sorry. Well, what I, a, what a, I was say, I don't know what you're looking at on the if you can see me, but like my um I'm on my so the New York Times, um, the Athletic, they were gracious enough to give me a MacBook, but it requires regular updates. So like I've just been like deferring my updates, but now they have like the screen that I can't exit out of. That's like <laughs> you're gonna re you're gonna update this right now. So I don't know if you can um I can obviously hear you and you can hear me, but I don't know if you can see me. So I got you. I got you still for now. So yeah. if my picture, <laughs> that's why. What what an ending, Kenny. Right. This was this was a lot of fun. I'm I we went longer than I thought we were gonna go, but I'm happy we finally made it work. And honestly, if things go down this path, I might have to get you back because this, yeah. this was a ton of fun. I know people appreciate you understanding Iowa culture, but now being far enough removed to actually give a national perspective as well. So yeah, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you um, having me on. Like I said, um, when I left, and I still feel like this now, there is um, a lot of love in Iowa um, that I felt from the the people out there from the fans to the media to you know even the coaches in, in administration and the love is reciprocated on my end as well so i'm going to continue watching i'm going to continue supporting my parents are still, my parents are still watching iowa so we are iowa fans so we god, are god bless mr and mrs uh, smith phenomenal yeah, people yeah appreciate it you know um you know they ask about you regularly and all that as well and chad too so um but we're iowa fans so we're here in this with y'all um <laughs> So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully Iowa turns things around and I understand it, um, you know, as well that, you know, the fans aren't having fun. The players and the coaches aren't having much fun about now. You know, it's not fun for the media either to continue to, to kind of cover this thing and try to find fresh angles and new perspectives and to make it engaging for the fans. So, you know, I hope Iowa turns it around and, um, you know, y'all, you know, have a, a more exciting things to write about. And uh, <laughs> hey, you never know. If Iowa turns yeah. around, let's say Iowa turns around and maybe um, Alabama doesn't have, you know, as great of a season, maybe Iowa and Bama end up in like the Citrus Bowl against each other or something like See, that. See, I would love that. Alabama fans that hate it. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, everybody, be sure to follow Kenny on Twitter at Skinny Kenny, Alabama beat writer for the athletic, formerly of Des Moines Register my good friend and colleague. So Kenny, we'll, we'll do this again, but I appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you. 
Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.